When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. On Commons People this week... And nobody voted leave on the basis that somebody with a gold-plated pension and inherited wealth would take their job away from them. The Tory civil war breaks into the open... Again, it is not too late to save Brexit. Is Boris Johnson the person to lead the troops? This, this is a determining moment for the Labour Party about what its vision, values, its ethos as a political party is. And Labour engulfed in another anti-Semitism row. All of this and more on Commons People. Hello and welcome to Commons People, HuffPost UK's politics podcast with me, Owen Bennett. And this week I'm joined by Mr Paul War. Hello, Paul. Hello. Joined by Ned Simons. Hello, Ned. Hello. And joined by Rachel Wearmouth. Hello. How are you? <laughs> Hello. Hello. Um, let's, I mean, this has been mad this week. It has been, cr- the tension in Parliament, Paul, has been positively crackling, isn't it? Um, there's been running battles everywhere. Let's start with the Brexiteer side. And one of the big things this week was Boris Johnson's resignation speech. Was this going to be the Geoffrey Howe moment? Was this going to be the thing which really ends Theresa May's tenure in Downing Street? Perhaps not. Here is Boris talking about how a solution to the Irish border question put forward by himself and David Davis was rejected by Downing Street. But when I and other colleagues and I single out my right honourable friend, the honourable member for Horton Price and Howden, uh, proposed further technical solutions to make customs and regulatory checks remotely. Those proposals were never even properly examined, as if such solutions had become intellectually undesirable. Well, before we talk about that, here's Tory MP Andrea Jenkins, who managed to distill the essence of Boris's speech into one simple question during PMQs. Prime Minister informed the House at what point it was decided that Brexit means remain. So, no holds barred there from uh, Andrea Jenkins. I'm sure Theresa May was delighted to have that missile launched from her own side. Let's, let's talk first about Boris's speech, because that was kind of what you kind of felt like the whole week was building to it. He had this article out in the Telegraph on Monday, which was pretty wishy-washy. He didn't really say a lot. It was all vague platitudes about how brilliant Britain was and what great military we've got and how we should rediscover the Victorian age or some nonsense. Um, they should ask for that money back. Pardon? They should ask for that 250 grand back. for uh-huh. that. Well, a year. And he said in it as well, I'm not going to bang on about Brexit. I think you are, mate. If I'm paying you a quarter million pound, that's what you're going to bang on about. Um, but what do we make of his speech? Because it was, I mean, Jason Rees said it was a speech of a statesman. Well, people said it was more Reggie Perry than regicide. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, that Andrea Jenkins quote did a lot more damage to the Prime Minister than anything that Boris did. It was short, it was sharp, and it was to the point, which was, at what point did Brexit become Remain? And that is really powerful if you're one of the Brexiteers. It's really powerful if you're one of the people who voted Leave. They want to know what's happening. What's your plan? Boris's big task, which I think he failed, was to start setting out his alternative vision. David Davis beat him to the punch by doing his own sort of 
alternative white paper, which, although you might say is unworkable, at least propose something, which is about sort of alignment on rules and would allow them to diverge and other things. But um, Boris hasn't really got all that intellectual heavy lifting done yet. So all he was reduced to was basically trying to craft uh, a, a sort of decent column into a speech. And I thought he's always been bad as a parliamentarian, always. And um, he's not a, an adept speaker in parliament. He was reading from notes, almost a bit like Donald Trump. He was really nervous of going off script because that you know he knew if, there were, if he went off script, there was dangerous. There were no jokes, deliberately no jokes. But if you're going to do no jokes you need, and you're trying to do gravitas, you really need to make an argument. I don't think he made a solid argument. And it's sort of a thing that was interesting that he seemed to be saying, OK, the current course of action isn't what we want. But someone else come up with an argument for me. Someone else take her out for me, and then I'll step in. Kind of almost leading from behind, as it were. Yeah. I mean, I, w- I was away for the last two weeks when actually when Boris resigned and David Davis resigned. But I wonder, you yeah, know, the shot you turned your phone back on the yeah, no, <laughs> I did, I did. And I was interested. You know, would Boris have quit if David Davis hadn't quit? No, he's a think, short answer. Exactly, that. and I think it's an example of him rather than sort of following rather than leading, perhaps. And I, I know, and I've been told uh, that. Basically, the first person that David Davis rang on on the Sunday when he was resigning, um, before he resigned, two hours before he resigned, the first person he rang or t- informed was Boris Johnson. So Boris Johnson had a lot of notice about this. He could have jumped at the same time. He mm. could have jumped on that same evening, that following morning, but he didn't. He waited and prevaricated. Interestingly, the one, the one person that wasn't rung by... Uh, uh, the cabinet lever that wasn't rung by David Davis was Michael Gove. Well, Boris Johnson made a dig at Michael Gove in the speech, didn't he, when he said there are some people who think that we can uh, sign the treaty now and then break the bone and reset it later on, which is a clear dig at the levers who mm. hadn't gone. And Gove is kind of... Because Gove was the one who went out and really sold checkers on the marche after it was agreed. Gove is seen as very much the the, the Brexiteer who's... I can't say... Gove stabbed people in the back, surely. These words are leaving my mouth. Um, but Michael Gove, again, letting Boris down. Yeah, well, you could say that. I mean, the thing is... That or Gove's actually, being pragmatic. And well, he's not yeah, his I mean, the that's obviously yeah. what Michael Gove is, is thinking, is the long-term leadership plan, which is, you know, it's best... No one ever got the leadership by being disloyal. Ever. They just don't. It doesn't happen. They got okay. it by getting a toothache in John Major's case. I mean, they? you might say Ian Duncan Smith, it, it, long-term disloyalty didn't do him any harm. But in the in most cases, if you're the person who's the Michael Hasseltine who wields the dagger, you don't get the crown. And obviously, that's what Michael Gove's thinking. And so is, so is crucially, Dominic Raab and the new Brexit secretary. And they're both think from the position of being loyal to the Prime Minister and trying to make it work, then if it falls apart, at least they'll get some credit. I think when you compare um, the weight that Boris took to come out pro-Remain, um, and there was a massive buzz around him, everyone was waiting to see what he had to say. Uh, he's waited again in this case, and it's extraordinary that there's just no buzz around him whatsoever. I think like, if you get the backing of the most powerful man in the world in Donald Trump, and no one's really paying that much attention. It really well. It says was shocking, really, his... in the chamber to watch just a small group of his followers around him. Yeah, it said, from, it the said, t- from the TV, it looked like it was big, right? When you put yeah. on the clothes, but you go to a wide shot. There's a small group yeah. of people who really are sort of Boris believers, but that's his problem. As I say, he's not a parliamentarian, and that ultimately is what will will, will stiff Boris Johnson's Before we leadership come on, chances. He's not a parliamentarian. If you're not a parliamentarian, you're not there to meet and greet MPs, not to meet the new intake, and so. I think he's just been left behind by the tide of history. Before and we go, go, on, go I was going to say, as he sat down, someone shouted, is that it? Yeah. 
<laughs> which was um, before we move on to the best speech in Parliament this week. Let's talk about the second best one, which was from Steve Baker, who uh, is a much more dangerous prospect for Theresa May than either David Davis or Boris Johnson, because as you said last week, Paul, the most important thing in politics is being able to count. Steve Baker can count. He knows exactly how many people he's got on the hard Brexiteer side. He knows when he can send them over the top. And he said in the speech, um, you know, if you think we've got 40 ready to vote this deal down, it's more, you're out by a factor, not a fraction. Yeah. So you are many more than 40. And he basically said, we, he said, you know, the S&P are going to vote it down, the deal down, because they want Scotland Independent. Labour will vote it down because their Labour and the opposition. So it comes down to, can you sell this to Conservatives? And you can't sell this deal to the Conservatives, Theresa May. I, we are going to vote this deal down. I mean, that was... I mean, if I was Theresa May, I'd be going, oh dear, this is not good. It wasn't good, because don't forget, he was saying that as Ther- Theresa May was in the 1922 committee, being uh, all being lauded by some many backbenchers, are all banging the desk and saying, here, here, and cheering her on. At the very same time, you've got Steve Baker, who wasn't there, who's actually in the chamber making a substantive point about Brexit on a Brexit debate, saying, look, we've got the numbers. And I think the problem, though, for someone like Steve Baker is no one knows who he is, OK? No one really knows. All right, people know Jacob Rees-Mogg is, but, and it's debatable whether or not he's a figure of fun in the eyes of the public. I mean, Labour would love jo- Jacob Rees-Mogg to be Tory leader. Yeah, but in the same way that the Tories would reasons. love Jeremy Corbyn to be Labour leader, look what happened there. Yeah, but I think it's slightly different in his case. He's, he's a walking vote machine for the Labour Party, there's no question. But it brings us back to Boris. Despite the fact that Boris didn't have a proper argument, despite the fact that he's not a parliamentarian, he's on every single front page on Thursday morning. Why is that? Because he kind of delivered the Brexit vote. He's the, the most box office face of Brexit. And he knows it. And I talked to... I'm a form- getting a phone call for Nigel Farage. He's <laughs> but, there, that but there was a former cabinet minister I talked to just before Boris spoke, who's not a friend of Boris. He said, look, I don't like him. I don't like what he's doing. But he's one of the very few people I know that can fill a town hall like that. And you, that's a powerful X factor, even now. I think on that what Baker's um, speech also showed is how the meaningful vote has now sort of flipped in, in the understanding of it. Because when we were first talking about the vote at the end of the deal, it was about, is the vote to get a better or a softer Brexit? Now the vote seems more clearly to be about crashing out with no deal. And I think the dynamics about what that vote means have flipped round. I, 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 I mean, at the time, I remember mm. saying this, I thought this was really weird that Labour were pushing this meaningful vote because mm. all it gives you the option is is deal or no deal. And they, yeah. and there's a load of people who will just want no deal, right? Because they're not sure. liking the compromises. And that has increased, increased, mm. increased. So I think that for the people who thought getting this meaningful vote helps Britain stay close to the uh, EU, I think it's... The other way around. I think it's the other way around. And one of the, one of the remarkable things um, during PMQs was that Theresa May said that she was just not prepared to ask for an extension to yeah. Article 50 as well. So she's kind of pushing I think that's a really foolish thing also. to say, I really do, because it reduces her flexibility. I know why she said it, but I think she didn't have to be that direct. She could have she could have ducked that question, because well, there are ministers who th- think you have to extend it. There's got to be but some... There's a, the, no this way. is one of Theresa May's famous red lines, and she'll, she'll utilize on it soon. Um, 1922, you mentioned uh, Theresa May went because it was the final one before uh, Parliament breaks up. Normally outside 1922, because uh, I go every week, it's just me and one other journalist there. This week, all the Johnny-come-latelys came yeah. along. Oh, you were right? there when it was cool. Oh, yeah. I was there when it was cool. Yeah. And Theresa May even said to one of them, oh, I don't normally see you outside. I don't know where Northern what? then. Where, where's she from, she sorry? <laughs> <laughs> she went, I don't normally see you outside in 1922. It was Tom Newton-Dunn the sun. Yeah. yeah, so I was like, that's right. You, you tell her, boss. Tell him, boss. Anyway, but... Something quite remarkable happened. Simon Clark, who's an MP you won't have heard of from Middlesbrough, Middlesbrough South, 
uh, stood up in the 22 and said, Prime Minister, I put in a letter calling for resignation last week. I now would like to withdraw that letter because I've had time to think about it and I did it in anger and I reject it. And he was getting, his back must have hurt from the amount of slaps he was getting on the back of it from, uh, from uh, Tory MPs afterwards. Symbolic, but I'm not sure. If, I mean, Simon Clark has therefore managed to annoy a load of Remainers for putting the letter in the first place. Mm. Now a lot of the Brexiteers are bringing it out again. It's yeah, like, I mean, it? it's, it's come to something if you've got it's someone like a new MP from Middlesbrough when, South, isn't he? Yeah, because yeah. when we said to him, oh, does this mean you're fine with the Chequers deal? Oh, no, I'm still completely opposed to it. <laughs> so what are you... Yeah. It was just... I liked the um, least shocking breaking news earlier today, which was that Philip Davis had put in a letter. Yeah. yeah. I was like... Ha- what is that news? Really? I thought he'd done that <laughs> already. Simon, Simon Clark letter. It was strange. Simon Clark was holding court outside the 1922 committee what? in this long committee corridor, as if he was a minister. There was a, a you know well, 50 journalists packed round him, and he was giving these thoughts on the world. This is a new backbencher, <laughs> and it's just fascinating to see the power one backbencher can and have. Do you know what's something <laughs> done from the sunset to him? Well, why did you resign from government then if you've changed your mind? And he said, well, I didn't. I wasn't the minister. And I was like, yeah, Very you stay telling. away from Every backbench is like a minister these yeah, days. Um, let's, before we discuss the kind of remain side of the week, let's do the quiz. Okay. Uh, resignation statements. I'm going to read you out a part of resignation statement. And then I'm going to give you some options of which politician said it. I okay. did this Okay, oh, always we get options. Did you do this Yeah, once? I think it must have been off. So I should be really good at this. Well, let's see. <laughs> I'm right. really bad, aren't I? Ready? Damn. Okay. Oh, God. If we detach ourselves completely as a party or a nation from the middle ground of Europe, the effects will be incalculable and very hard ever to correct. Was that Roy Jenkins? Oh, God. Was that Geoffrey Howe? Or was that Nigel Lawson? The middle ground of Europe. If we detach ourselves completely um. as a party or a nation... From the middle ground of Europe, the effects will be incalculable and very hard ever. I'm going to say Roy Jenkins. Roy Jenkins, because you definitely wouldn't. What would? What are the options again? Roy Jenkins, Jeffrey Howe, or Nigel Lawson? Um, Roy Jenkins. Jeffrey Howe. Oh, yeah. That's because you're trying to show us he didn't do the. It has been a favourite theme of commentators that this house no longer occupies a central role in British politics. Nothing could better demonstrate that they are wrong than for this house to stop the commitment of troops in a war that has neither international support, oh. it's international agreement, nor domestic support. Was it Claire Short? Was it Nye Bevin? Or was it Robin Cook? I was going to say Cook. I was going to say Robin Cook. Uh, I'll go Claire Short then. Are you going to give, are you giving Robin Cook? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 it's Robin yeah. Cook. Yeah. 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 Sorry. was killing me. Sorry. <laughs> I think the problem was that um, Claire Short resigned after. Yeah. yeah. Well, before. Uh, Britain's destiny lies in Europe as a member of the European community. And let me be clear that I am speaking of a Europe of nation states. Was that Nigel Lawson? Was that Michael Heseltine? Or was that Geoffrey Howe? Oh, Jeffrey oh. Howe. God, he's he's all over the shop. Um, There's a long wait, speech. Hang on, what, who are the first two again? Nigel Lawson and Michael Heseltine. Um, Lawson. I'm going to go Lawson if it's nation states. I'll go Heseltine. It was Lawson. It. it was Lawson, sorry. Uh, and finally, oh, I forgot to highlight who this was. I think it was this. Okay, this good. is professional. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> professional. Uh, I therefore do beg the house and the country and the world to think before it is too late. It may be that on such an occasion as this, the dramatic nature of a resignation might cause even some of our American friends to think before it's too late. Was it Robin Cook? Was it Nye Bevin? Or was it Ernie Bevin? 
Mm-hmm. What are they Ooh. trying to make our American friends think about? Um, it's a good. It's, it's It'd be a, a bit high, of a cheat if you did cook twice. It's quite a highbrow quiz this week, isn't it? Yeah, for why would change? Bevan, yeah. Mm. Mm. What do you reckon, Rachel? Be- I'm gonna say Bevan. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Which one? I'm gonna go Both Cook. of them. <laughs> You're gonna go Robin Cook. I'm going to Nye Bevan. Nye Bevan. Ned's going to go. Other Bevan. It was Nye Bevan. Oh. I mean, I love this from Nye Bevan. He said, if this dramatic nature of resignation might cause... As if the, 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 <laughs> yeah. the minister... Nye Bevan's resigned. Right, okay. So, you know, I think yeah. it has to do with the Korean... Get me the, the president. rings in the yeah. White House. And they, yeah. Exactly. Uh, right, let's move on to uh, the, the best speech of the week in Parliament, which was Anna Subri, um, because Theresa May managed to not just upset... The Brexiteers this week should upset the Remain wing uh, by accepting an amendment which would see the UK ask the EU for reciprocity. Nice word. Thank you. When it comes to collecting tariffs, Tory MP Anna Subri believes this measure effectively kills the Chequers agreement and makes no deal more likely. Here is her no-holds-barred attack on her own party. And what they have said in those private conversations is the loss of hundreds of thousands of jobs will be worth it to regain our country's sovereignty. You tell that to the people of my constituency. You tell that to the people who voted leave in my constituency. Nobody voted to be poorer and nobody voted leave on the basis that somebody with a gold-plated pension and inherited wealth would take their job away from them. Wonderful stuff, wasn't it? Wonderful from uh, Anna Suri there. A real parliamentary moment. I mean, she does this quite a lot, right? But this was like the best one of her, of her anger. Well, it was good because it, it was... I like the fact that basically it had interaction. So she was heckled by Sir Edward Lee. Um, Lee heckled. Who really went for her oh. and said, you'll know Margaret Thatcher. Yeah. It was unnecessary, uh, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it even Nicky Morgan harsh. stood up and said, that's come on. Said, exactly. And, but that's why... It helped Subri in a way because it gave it that extra it gave bite. The, it, it, really it gave mattered. her the justification to go up a yeah. level and attack and the inherited wealth. she then that. went for the gold-plated pensions yeah. and she personalised it as well. So I think the problem is that certainly in the Tory party, a lot of people want that stripped out of it. They just want it to reduce the argument. But in terms of theatre and passion, then, yeah, you can see why she did it. And she's everywhere, Subri. There's no question she's box office. She's sort of... Um, you know, she's, she's an orator, isn't she? She makes orator. it go, um, and she she's got the gift of the right turn of phrase, um, whether it's on TV or whether it's in the chamber. Is the Chequers Agreement dead, Ned? That rhymes. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean, it might be dead on arrival in Brussels, which no one's really spoken about, and it's all our internal discussions mm. here. When, once it gets over there, it's what really matters. To be Dom- honest, Dominic Raab's taken over today. Yeah, he's taken over on his first yeah. trip. Yeah. He <laughs> said in the in the chamber earlier today, almost like kind of like a gleeful schoolboy, he's like, I've got a white paper and I'm going to Brussels. Oh. <laughs> it's it very weird. <laughs> Blank, is it? Yeah, yeah. I think the big problem is that Brussels obviously won't be over the moon about that white paper. But as I may have, may have said before, I do think they're in the mood for a deal. And I think they'll they'll try their best to use it as the basis for keeping things on the road. The big problem, I think, for Theresa May is that Brussels isn't remotely interested really in the white paper. That's all beyond Brexit as far as they're concerned. The only thing they really care about is a withdrawal agreement right now, right here. They, the 40, they, the 40 billion they quid. want Britain to crash out with they want Britain to get they don't want Britain to crash out, they want Britain to pay its dues, they want Britain to have basically a status quo while it pulls out. It, yeah, once you're out, and from their point of view that's when they're in a really strong negotiating position. As soon as we leave, that's it. You know, get, coming back in is almost impossible in the short term. 
trying to renegotiate all the benefits of being in they have all the cards and so you can see why from their point of view they say yeah yeah that white paper is not not too bad Teresa it's okay yeah we'll, we'll talk about that maybe at some point right now let's talk about this withdrawal agreement and that is what will come in more into focus so but we've got EU states stepping up their preparations for no deal as well so um I mean, one of, the, one of the ways that the, the government this week tried to keep the deal alive was by trying to vote down an amendment which would have kept us, which made Theresa May try to negotiate a customs union with the EU. And in that vote, it was it emerged that Brandon Lewis, the Tory chairman, voted when he'd been paired with Joe Swinson, Lib Dem MP, who's off on maternity leave. Now, one of the pairing arrangement, you, you both don't vote, you cancel out each other's votes, so it doesn't make a difference to the overall result. Now, Brandon Lewis voted. He claimed, oh, it was a mistake. The chief whip who, who hauled him out of a meeting to vote said, oh, it was a mistake. You know, out of the nine votes that day, he abstained on seven of them and voted on two. The two ones they nearly lost, right? Joe Swinson's gone is furious about this, and it's seen reported today by the Times. Actually, the other two MPs who were paired with uh, Labour MPs on maternity leave were also asked to vote, and they refused. I mean, this is shady stuff, right? Because Theresa May and Angela Edson were both said in the House it was a mistake. Yeah, there's two things. Angela Edson was in the House earlier today, and she said she was actually one of the MPs that was paired, and she said she wasn't told to vote. But in if you listen to what she said in the Commons, she kept saying it was an error. Now, something can be an error but still be deliberately done. Does that make, does that make sense? Yeah. You know, is the error the fact that they did it and they deliberately did it and they yeah. shouldn't have done it? And I think they are, she was very kind of animated about it and very quite cross when it, um, she was being accused of kind of, of lying essentially. But there is still some wordplay going on and it's, it's very suspicious. And I think CCHQ earlier, that's Conservative Central Office, didn't deny when asked no. if it had been done on purpose. They just said that, well, no other pairs were broken. And yeah. that's not the same thing. But Downing Street has said that Theresa May backed mm. um, Julian Smith this morning. So and you've got, um, as well, uh, Alistair Carmichael, Lib Dem, has been demanding that Julian Smith uh, come and give a statement in their commons, which, of course, whips don't speak in the commons. But a lot of MPs are really, really angry about this, and but, they really want something to say. Alistair Carmichael, you mentioned him there. <laughs> He's not done a great job this <laughs> yeah, week, is he? I mean, there is a little bit where, 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 was, where was Tim Farron and Vince Cable for some crucial votes this Vince week, Vince Cable Ned? was having an important political meeting about... Stopping a hard Brexit, I believe, I probably, when he refused yeah. to vote in a vote which yeah. would have helped start. And, and what was Tim Farron doing? <sighs> Chatting about gays and Christianity. He was telling gay sex, wasn't yeah. he? Five quid for a ticket. He was talking about gay sex, <laughs> yeah. and that's why he missed the yeah, vote. Yeah. Poor I, fool, Maple. But I think that's that's part of the problem, which is the, this whole row over pairing and the government bre- having a breach of trust and a breach of faith and dumping the normal rules of of conduct in Parliament, it all stems to fact, down to the fact that she's got no majority, so they have to use every trick in the book. And we're talking about, as Ned rightly said, you know, whips don't normally speak in the House of Commons, they don't, but um, he's got a Twitter account, the chief whip. Um, mm. he, he's, and, you know, all those Michael rules have been Gove broken. Used to go on the radio Michael Gove, chief whip. Michael Gove made speeches as chief yeah. whip at a party conference. So the rules have kind of changed, and this is the difficulty for the government. Um, no one normally wants to talk about whipping arrangements. The opposition don't want to talk about it because they obviously, they have their own dark arts, oppositions and governments about when it comes to whipping. So no one really wants to blow the gaff on this. But when it's come to something as as what looks like as outrageous a breach as this by the chief whip, then I think he's under a duty to say, to be really clear and not obfuscate and not deny it and just say, look, if this was an error, it's because... And then say exactly what happened. Now, it looks like the pairing whip is as furious as as anyone else. Mm. There's a a specific whip on the government benches who sorts out these arrangements. And apparently he's the one who's who's been saying to people, look, you know, you should still uphold the normal Mm. rules of behaviour. And he was overruled. 
Um, it'll be interesting to see whether any of that really does come out or whether the government just tries to just um, stonewall everyone. I suspect they will stonewall everyone. Let's very quickly move on to Labour. Um, Jamie Corbyn was this week told, cover your ears, listeners, he was told he's a fucking anti-Semite by a veteran Jewish MP after the party upheld controversial new guidelines on tackling anti-Semitism. This is a story by Mr Paul War, who broke this. Furious former minister Margaret Hodge confronted the Labour leader after a Commons vote on Brexit, telling him he didn't want people like her in the party anymore. This happened behind the Speaker's chair, so it was out of the range of TV cameras, and it was to do with the ruling National Executive Committee's decision to endorse new rules on Jew hatred and abuse. Um, Margaret Hodge then went and wrote a piece for The Guardian, where she explained her kind of strength of feeling on this. She lost family in the Holocaust. She's faced down the far right in a constituency of barking. Here's John Mann, a long-time critic of Corbyn over anti-Semitism on The Daily Politics. For the first time ever, we've had rabbis across the entire Jewish spectrum, uh, from the liberal rabbis through to the uh, ultra-Orthodox rabbis, combining together in one letter. It's never happened before. It's quite extraordinary to have that unanimity across the Jewish community. And uh, this, this is a determining moment for the Labour Party about what its vision, values, its ethos as a political party is. They just can't leave it alone, can they? What is wrong with these people? I just There's an internationally accepted agreement of what anti-Semitism is. Why won't they accept it? I honestly don't know. I think it's because, basically, don't forget the driving force behind this is John Lansman, who, it's worth mentioning, is Jewish. Um, And Rhea Wolfson, who's Jewish on the NEC. And people like that uh, say that actually um, there is, in their mind, there's a big, big difference between criticising Israel and being anti-Semitic. Now, the problem with that is that international definition does allow for criticism of Israel. You know, it does. It, that's the whole point of it. People have said is there's lots of scope. If you, if you adopt that definition and in all its examples, then there's still room to criticise Israel. So they don't quite see the Jewish community thinks this is um, an egregious attempt to basically defy the normal conventions when it comes to this issue. And that's why you've got people like the chief rabbi, who's not normally political at all, or those 68 rabbis talking about it this week. Um, People feel really, really strongly about it. And yet you come back to what's behind it. And from people like John Lansman, um, who are sort of saying they want to contextualise these rules... They're basically worried that people are getting unfairly suspended, unfairly expelled from the Labour Party for not being intentionally anti-Semitic, for sharing things unintentionally, for using the wrong language. And they think that expulsion's too far, too harsh a, a punishment in a political party. So that's their justification for it. But that misses, and particularly the, the Margaret Hodge example, and the fact that she might now be disciplined for having a go at Jeremy Corbyn, it's, it shows once again the big blind spot that Jeremy Corbyn has on this and that the party sort of leadership have on it. Because if you think that that's a good look, a Jewish MP being disciplined, having raised her anger about this, then obviously you, you're missing something. But Rachel, immediately on Twitter there was, because Corbyn had gone ahead in the polls, they've gone ahead in the polls, oh, this is another attempt by a centrist MP to distract from Corbyn. You know, these people all pile in. I mean, it's just a... It's a 
I can't get my head around it. Can you? Well, can you, Rachel? Can you get into their mindset? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> um, but I was going to say, you know, Margaret Hodge is not the first person um, to come out against it within the Labour Party as well. Keir Starmer, uh, the week before, kind of said that they, he thought that they should adopt the guidelines. Um, I, I can't remember his exact wording, but basically immediately, and they shouldn't hesitate at all. Um, so it's that doesn't exactly support their conspiracy theory, does it? We've got like. Two minutes left. I'm going to cover two more things. Very, very quickly. Momentum deselection plan. He has written down notes here. <laughs> Evergreen Who notes. Who wants to talk to you? I think I'm just, uh, just there's well, a standing I, order on the, on the list. Basically, this very, week, very what, what got obscured amidst all the uh, anti-Semitism row was that the Labour's NEC this week also approved a thing called the Democracy Review, which has a string of recommendations for how Labour members can get more power in the Labour Party under Jeremy Corbyn. And one thing that wasn't in there was MPs' deselection. Now, this is such an explosive issue. I think basically Corbyn wanted to park it, not put it in this first wave. But Momentum have said, well, hold on a sec. Um, can we at least consider this and debate it in the coming party conference? And what's happened is that under the they, they may well be allowed to do that because one little notice change in this democracy review is that local parties can every year bring forward a rule change at party conference previously you can only do it every three years the party didn't want to get bogged down by it now there's sort of open season and momentum are exploiting that and saying right okay if if we're free to do this then what we really think is important that MPs should be more accountable, is their phrase, more accountable to their members. Will this be at the Labour Party conference or the little fringe mental comments they have on the side? Well, they're hoping it's in the Labour Party conference, okay. for and, sure. And with the... I sound like John Burke, but with the brevity display by the right honourable gentleman, Mr Paul Warrach, if you can copy that, with the in case you missed it this week, which was to do with um, Skills Minister Anne Milton dropping a ball. Yes, uh, she gave evidence to the education select committee this week uh, she's the skills minister um, big part of her job at the minute is bringing in um, better technical education so these t levels that are due to start in 2020 and the idea is that they make um, the academic route have the same um, prestige as the technical route it'll come in line with them um, degree apprenticeships and what have you they're supposed to be due to start by 2020 but um, there's Everyone says that's kind of too fast. A lot of people within the education sector are saying that's too fast. Um, when asked about it, Anne Milton said um, that she would tell her own children to leave it a year before <laughs> before ta- before taking qualifications that wow. she's about to introduce. So that was a great, a great vote of confidence. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a ring Quite in the door, is it? I mean, yeah. Imagine walking out of that and saying to your advisors, did I do all right? Um, well, Anne, there was a little thing you said. And also, of course, now her kids will all have to do the T-level <laughs> yeah, in the first year. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and John Woodcock resigned this week from the Labour Party, didn't he, Ned? Oh, yeah, that happened as well. That happened, Isn't it yeah. quite weird that, you know, something as big as that yeah. is, is a sort of footnote? Um, yeah. It's quite interesting. Are you attacking and the running order of this show, Paul? You're saying I should have opened <laughs> no, it not at all. Oh, good. But, you know, it's the, don't forget, this is the final podcast. Uh, uh, I think it is. I was going to say this. If you discuss this off air, but, but yeah. Yeah, it's a final, it's one, final right? podcast yeah. until, unless something mad happens yeah. next week but let's see but we've still got a few uh, days two days next week of yeah. the House of Commons sitting and you know what there's nothing on the agenda for in the House of Commons really for them to debate the, the cabinet are doing an away day on Monday in Newcastle so they're not going to be around. Rachel's um, little face. <laughs> but I, I suspect what's going to happen, you're going to have the, the sort of parliamentary equivalent of the last day at school or the last week at school oh, where people games. take in Monopoly on Twister oh, and brilliant. watch, you know, The Great Escape on, on, on a video. Oh, that, right. Don't you think that that's really what Parliament should Mr. do? Paul a massive Twister game while they're watching a movie. Tweet, tweet us what MPs are bringing what game. 
right? <laughs> because like, surely there's some, it's a twister. That, who, who changes position a lot? Um, David Davis. David Davis. Right, so he could, he'll bring in twister. Monopoly, that's some Tory... Billi- what, about, what about money? Ha- housing property. Housing minister. Edward Plunk. Lee. <laughs> yeah, Edward Lee. This is good, isn't it? This is good. Okay. This is it a better work. quiz. It would work. Right, we're re-recording the whole thing. So, but uh, maybe we could do it all next week. <laughs> we could do it next week. Or tweet us. Tweet us with the hashtag. Yeah, MPs we will have a show next week. Yeah. Let's have a no, show no, next no, week. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. yeah. No, we can discuss it. Yeah. All right, then. We might have a show next week. <laughs> we're going to tweet us hashtag MPs games for what games you think MPs should bring in to start their personality. That's good, isn't it? I know wow. what they're thinking. They're thinking you wasted too much time on the resignation quiz. <laughs> Anyway, thank you for listening, everyone, and we may or may not be back next week. Bye. 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 Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.